So we've been thinking about Galatians. Let me just recap for a moment. We started off in chapter 1. We're now in chapter 2. And the first five verses, we're reminded that there's always a danger with a prodigal church. That we can drift away from the gospel message. We can forget that the true message of the gospel is one of rescue. And the true message of the gospel is one that we cannot save ourselves. Jesus plus anything else is no gospel. And God has called us to live by the truth and the presence of the gospel within our lives. It boils down to this as we moved on. To whether our hearts are turned away from the truth. We live in an age where people are turning away from the truth. We live in an age when we're losing our passion for the truth of the gospel. And of course, uh, we shouldn't have a divided heart. Like Solomon, who himself had 600 wives. And, and it says that his heart was turned away from God because of the influences of the foreign gods. And all the time we have to be willing to say to ourselves, am I keeping my heart pure, undivided, guiding, guarding my heart against the lies of the enemy? God cares about your heart. And we've got to decide that we see many people drift away from that. And of course, he goes on to speak about the fact that I'm not here to please men, but to please God. I think that is the greatest revelation any of us can have, actually, is that the person I want to obey is I want to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Completely obey him. It's about an audience of one, not a human audience. It's about knowing that you're fulfilling what God is asking you to do and being willing to step into that and know that within your life, you are serving Jesus and you are serving Jesus alone in your life. It's a challenge. And then, of course, Paul explains at the end of the chapter his great story. You know, where he'd been, what he had been educated, what he had faced, what he'd gone through. And our stories make all the difference within our lives. Three graces. When he went down to Jerusalem, he spoke to them and of course they were checking him out and checking out his message. And yet they, he was offered the right hand of fellowship. He was welcomed in. And as he was welcomed into the right hand of fellowship, they, uh, they encouraged him because they recognized grace was with him. How do we recognize grace is with a church? We recognize grace when people give their lives to Jesus Christ. And you know, every week somebody gets saved around Willow Park Church Network. Last night, after the service, well, just at the end of the service as we're taking communion, two ladies came forward, one after another, and gave their lives to Jesus Christ. I prayed them right there. That's grace. When people get saved, she said... I may have, I haven't been in church for 25 years. How can I find Jesus? How do I get Jesus? Now that's the kind of question I like to be asked. How do I find Jesus? That is grace at that moment. And then another lady came forward in such brokenness. And yet she was saying, how can Christ free me from the, the darkness that surrounds me and the pain of my past? And shared a little bit about that. Is Jesus big enough to free me? The truth is Jesus is always big enough to free us. He can free us. 
And I'm looking forward to seeing what God has in their journey. But that's grace. When we see Isaac standing up speaking, and we see the pursuit school, and we see 200 youth leaders in our church discipling other young people, that is a sign of God's grace on a church. Discipleship. Sometimes we miss it. Sometimes we don't know what God is up to. And of course, generosity. That that is a sign of God's grace. That we are a generous people. We're a faithful people. We give regularly. We're sacrificial. He says... He said there that as he turned up to Jerusalem, of course, he turned up on the response of prophetic words from Agabus in, in Acts chapter 11. He turned up with provision because a great famine was going to come across the Roman Empire. And when there is the gospel and when there is discipleship, there is always generosity that follows. Because generosity flows out of who we are. And that little verse in 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 Galatians 2.10. And the one thing they asked me was to remember the poor. Remember the poor. Which I was eager also to do, he said. How eager are we to remember the poor? How eager are we? Why would he say in the middle of that to remember the poor? Well, mainly because, of course, in the gospel, we were once poor. But now we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And of course, out of our great salvation we receive, we become abundant givers to the needs of the world, to the poor, that we don't forget the poor, because Jesus himself was born poor, because Jesus himself preached and pursued the poor, and because Jesus himself preached the kingdom of God and said there'll be a great reversal, that those that are dying, those that are destitute, those that are poor, I bring good news to the poor, proclaim freedom to the captive, and I'm going to come into this world and I'm going to do the great reversal. I'm going to change everything round. Because that's what the gospel does. It brings the great reversal that changes us and moves in our lives. Well, there you go. That's how far we've got. But now we're at verse 11. Little bit of church problems. Have you ever been in a church that's had some problems? <laughs> I, hear, I hear you. You know, those dreaded church members' meetings, those events from your childhood, those moments when people don't agree with each other, they do happen. When Cephas, Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. This is pretty intense. I opposed him. This is Peter. This is Peter who was with Jesus. This is Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 gave their lives to Christ. I mean, Paul's not shy, is he? He's quite direct here. He said, I, I spoke to him for his face. I was... Literally, the Greek translation is, I was in his face. And because he stood, condemned, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those belonging to the circumcision group. Circumcision. In most translations, it says the circumcision party. Doesn't sound like much of a party to me. I won't vote for the circumcision group. And I, I can imagine them all stood round with 
and how, anyway, that's ridiculous. And the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. This tells us, first of all, the first point I want to make is that every one of us needs to keep in step with what the truth of the gospel is in our lives. And we can be in danger of stepping out of the truth of the gospel. And we can be in danger of drifting. This would have hurt Paul. Why would it hurt Paul? This was Antioch. This is home church. I've only been a member of two churches in my life. The church I got saved in and Willow Park Church. But you know that when things go toxic, when decisions are made in church life, you know how this profoundly hurts us because we are linked to each other in brotherly and sisterly love. And we are part of the body of Christ. And this gathering and our other gatherings matter because we are connected to each other. Antioch was his home church. It was where he was commissioned and his hands were, the hands were laid on him by the elders and he was sent to the nations. This church mattered. Antioch, of course, was founded um, 250 years before this, after the time of Alexander the Great. It was one of the, the eastern northern parts of his empire that rivaled Alexandria there in Egypt. It was a cosmopolitan city. It had people from all across the world. It had people from Persia and from India. It had people from Rome and, and Celts and different nations would flow through on what they would call the Silk Route that came from the east and always traveled through uh, Antioch. Antioch was Vancouver. It was Toronto, it was New York, it was London. It had a great history. The Romans had taken it over because of mismanagement of the, of the, um, the kings that were there. And they had taken it over about 60 years before the birth of Christ and put it under direct Roman rule. But this was a dynamic, creative, cosmopolitan city. There, there, the church was birthed and the church was thriving. The church was moving and yet they dived headlong into hypocrisy because they gave in to those who said, you need to do this as well as believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was once an open table for all nations, for all people. But suddenly it becomes a table that is closed. And suddenly there's spiritual infidelity takes place. Where they are turning their back, even in Antioch, on the truth and the freedom that comes in the gospel that says everybody can eat around the table. Everybody can gather together. We are brothers and sisters, whether you are from the north or the south, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are free or a slave, the gospel has no boundaries because the gospel breaks down all racial boundaries. That's why the Romans hated Christianity because Rome worked on division, but Christianity works on unity and the power of the gospel, salvation to all nations. And so there's this battle going on. And Cephas, Peter, is in the middle of this problem in church life. And as he's in the middle of it, Paul says, look at him. There is um, hypocrisy going on. Now, of course, we've got to guard ourselves against hypocrisy. 
Often when we think of hypocrisy, we think of different professions, different... We've just had an election this week. England, Britain's going to have an election at some point in the next 50 years. And (laughs) something is going to take place. But, of course, the big thing that is often thrown at elected officials is that you said one thing and you did another thing. And, and that's, that's kind of the way it is. We've got a Prime Minister at the moment in England who, who said if it didn't happen by October the 31st, he'd be dead in a ditch. Well, it's not going to happen, but he's ditched that idea. Um, you know? It's, we look at... But that's a cliché, isn't it? Because I know that there are so many great politicians who really want to go that way. But we look at people and say, let's match their words with their actions. And if they doesn't quite match up, we call them hypocrites. Papers call them that. Churches, you know, they look at us as church in culture and they have no idea what goes on in church. They have no idea of what the work happens. They have no idea what happens within a church community. And it's so easy for non-believers to say, oh, those churches, they're full of hypocrites. Look at them going to church Sunday morning. Hypocrites. So there is that kind of way that often we just use the phrase in popular culture, and yet it doesn't actually mean here what we think it means because of our culture. It's not about promises that you make and you try and achieve and you don't quite do it. Because you know that at times you've made promises and you've promised to deliver on something and you haven't, right? You're quiet now. And, and it's true. We all <laughs> say things and we don't deliver. We make promises and we don't deliver. And we, we say we're going to do this, but for some circumstances and changes... We don't deliver. It's tough. But to really understand this text, you have to understand what the word hypocrisy really means. We have to look at the entomology of the word. In other words, we have to go back and look at the history of the word to really understand it. Otherwise, you may miss the point because we all fail with promises and we all let people down. We all have good intentions, but sometimes those good intentions can't be fulfilled. So what does it mean? It means this. The the entomology of the word hypocrite, the root of it is this, play actor. It's more than just play acting, it's actually taking on a role that you are not and pretending to be a person. In the world of acting, it's called method acting. You take on the role, you take on the emotion. An actor like Daniel Day-Lewis, he, 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 when he was you know, doing Last of the Mohicans, he, was, he, he became like that character. And, and everything he said for months, he would live in the role. He would pretend to be that role. He'd pretend to be that person. He would, he would enter into that role in character, in thought, in feeling, in emotion. And hypocrite is this, that you are somebody else, but you choose in certain settings to take on a play-acting role and become somebody you are not designed to be. You act in a way that isn't really the true you. And you perform to a crowd. 
So if in the Elizabethan age, with Shakespeare, of course they would act, but the women weren't allowed to act. So men used to play the roles of women, and of course they were hypocrites. They weren't women, but they played the role of women, but they were hypocrites in that sense. And what Paul is actually saying is, it's not just about good intentions... It's not just about, I promised to do something, but I didn't quite deliver, or I'm unable to deliver, or the climate's changed, as we use the word today. It means, literally, Peter was untrue to who God had called him to be, and the truth of the gospel. He was acting out to these Jewish people, and pretending to be somebody completely different to who he should actually be. And that's a dangerous thing for us. Because we've got to be careful that we do not. We do not act in a way that is inconsistent of who Christ has made us. We've got to be authentic to who Jesus has called us to be. That's a challenge, isn't it? It's a challenge to say. It's like a man who goes on a business trip... He's married, but on the business trip, he takes off his wedding ring. He's betraying the covenant that he's part of. It's like that, that moment. Now, why would, why would he experience this? Why would Peter do these things? Well, the answer is quite simple. The answer is that Peter did this because of fear. Fear of being excluded. Fear of not being accepted. Fear within his life, it seems, he was afraid of these Jewish teachers who came from Jerusalem, who were influencing them, and he didn't want to be thought badly of, so he became a hypocrite by being somebody who God did not make him to be, and he was compromising in the process. And I want to encourage you this morning that the person God has called you to be, the man and the woman of God God has called you to be, I want to encourage you to step into that role and to say, I want to be true to the gifting, to the calling, to the intimacy, to the reality of Christ within my life. Don't be a play actor when it comes to the kingdom of God. Be authentic. More damage is done in Christian homes because religious activity happens outside of the church but, and is play-acting, but in the home, we can be in danger of being hypocritical. And when there's a disconnect between who we are in public and who we are in home, where we are at church and where we are at work, when there is a disconnect in our conduct and our language, we are play-acting and we will hurt people because of that inconsistency within our lives, dear friends. And the, the aim has to be that I am not afraid of man, But I am willing to die to myself. Maybe Peter hadn't got to that point on his journey where he was willing to die in this way utterly to himself. Because obviously going on here, he has had the revelation, Acts chapter 10. He saw the blanket or the sail come down. He saw all the unclean animals. He saw the revival in Cornelius' house. He experienced a mighty vision of a revelation of God, but he was still capable of drifting and being drawn away because he was afraid of groups and afraid of people. 
And that's why we've got to watch our own hearts. That's why that the person that stands on this stage who talks about prayer has to be the person that prays. That's why my knowledge has to connect with what I, my actions. Because that danger spot where my knowledge is high but my actions are low is that hypocritical zone where we can fall into hypocrisy. When you know it all, but you don't live it. You know prayer changes things, but you're not praying. You know that, that, that there are certain things we're called to do, but you're not able, or for whatever reason, that there's that, that gap. And within that gap, that's where hypocrisy can start to work away within our lives. So it's important, and I often sit my kids down at different times, and I say, you know, for all the goodwill in the world, and for me wanting to be the most perfect dad, I am going to let you down. And there may be a point in years to come where you want to talk to me and say, Dad, that hurt me, or that wounded me, or you know that time, and I just want to say, I'm, I'm open for this conversation. I'm open for it. Anytime you want to have that conversation with me about something that I've done that's been inconsistent in my life, I am open to that conversation because I know enough and I've counseled enough to know that no matter how good we are, we all have wounds from our parents, right? I'm up for that conversation anytime. Anytime. Because... I can't play act Christianity. You and I have to live it to the truth and live it to the full. And the worst damage happens when we say something in public, but we live differently personally. That's where people lose their faith. And hypocrisy is like a disease. We know this from this scripture because it even says this. So belong to the circumcision group, verse 13. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. There are attitudes and thoughts and actions that are like a, a virus that passes through the body of Christ that can lead people astray. And that's why. Now, let's turn it for a moment. You may be here this morning and you may have been wounded by hypocrisy of people in your life. You may have been wounded through the actions of a pastor. You may be wounded through the action of a church system. You may have been wounded through the actions of close friends. You may have been wounded, I don't know how, but through inconsistency. And that has stopped you from fulfilling who you should be in the kingdom of God. And I simply want to say to you that if you have been wounded because of the infection of hypocrisy that has led people astray, and you've been wounded through people's inconsistency and through their words and through things that have hurt you, do not let... The fear, the words, the damage, the failure, the imperfection of man hold you back from being on fire for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Nobody can hold me back except myself. And sometimes we have to bring those wounds of a church experience, those times when you were in pastoral ministry decades ago, those moments when you saw inconsistency and you were part of it for that while and you experienced that. You and I continually need to bring those wounds because we mustn't lose our faith. We need to face this hypocrisy within our own lives and we need Jesus to come and to free us and to heal us and to bring us freedom because what you've got to offer for the kingdom of God is too important to be held back by hypocrisy of others. It's time for you to step into all that God has for you. It's tough though, isn't it? Because let's turn the tables again. There are times in my life When I've made decisions and said things, and I cringe today, literally could cringe. And I know that I was inconsistent in my action. I know that I was wrong at that moment. I know that there was a, a battle. And I have to believe that for every one of us that feels like we have wandered like Cephas, like Peter, that for every one of us, I want to tell you the glory of the gospel is that there's always a reset button. That yesterday does not equal today. What happened yesterday, you can find freedom and healing and deliverance. It does not equal the future. How do I know this? I know this because Paul never gave up on Peter. Imagine if this had been on the internet and it was all over. Peter would be done. He wouldn't sell any more books or anything. You know, everybody, look at Peter. Look at what he's gone through. Look at what he's faced. Look at all of this. You know, the great apostle, he's compromised with the Jewish elite. He started to bring practices. He's excluded Gentiles. He's made people from other cultures feel bad. Hashtag Peter, loser, and goes, goes viral. But I notice, unlike the modern church today in so many areas, I notice that Paul confronts him, that Paul challenges him, but Paul never gives up on the great apostle Peter. And there's times for all of us, although we won't like to admit it, where we've wandered from the truth at times. There's times when we've let ourselves down. There's times when we've made decisions that were not helpful. And there's times when we've struggled and we've had the Peter experience. And we've had an emphasis in one way, but we know that that emphasis sends us on a little wobble spiritually. And the place where we always should come back to and the place where we should always live is right in front of the cross and the truth of the gospel. So there is healing, there is freedom, there is the presence of Christ that comes. If you've been wounded by the actions of other Christians that could be described as hypocritical, then allow Christ to heal your broken hearted. Confess it, repent of it, activate forgiveness, receive God's deliverance. And where you have failed 
and you've fallen off the narrow path, it's time for you to get back on. So I'm going to live for Jesus. You know, when you watch gymnasts, I was thinking about this on the beam. Of course, um, women are gymnasts are on the beam and the men have the two things. You can see I'm really, really know that. I remember in the 70s, there's that really famous Russian gymnast, Olga or something. And she's like, I don't know. I remember being 12 and going, having my first crush. And, and she'd, she'd like, get on that beam. And she'd, um, incredible. And, that, and I was amazed watching the Olympics on TV, how, how they would stay on that narrow beam. And this is what Galatians teaches us, that we, are, we have to stay on the narrow beam. How do you stay on that beam then? Well, first of all, you've always got to be gazing forward and you've always got to be absolutely focused. And when it comes to our faith, we've always got to be gazing forward like Peter towards Christ who is sinking as he sinks down the water. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and we need to be gazing forward, friends. Because we're on a narrow path of the Christian faith, and it's so easy to fall off. But I want to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And I keep my eyes fixed on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I want to keep my eyes fixed on the line of the tribe of Judah. I want to keep my eyes fixed in prayer and never move it from Jesus. I want to stay on that beam. I want to stay fixed on Jesus. The second thing they do, they always balance and open that arms. We always need to be in a position where our lives are open to all that God has for us. Holy prayer. Lift your hands up in holy prayer. Be open. You notice that when they're training, they always have people alongside of them to help them. And we always need groups and prayer people and people to help us. Connection in where you can volunteer because you can't do Christianity in isolation. If we walk in the beam, you need others about you to help you and to hold you and to be with you. And you might say, well, then what happens if I fall off? Well, when a gymnast falls off, they just get back on and have another go. It's really simple, you know. You don't have to fall off and stay off. There's always a way back onto the path. Even when we've committed hypocrisy. Even when, like the great apostle, because it comes to this, the only way you succeed in the Christian faith is that you are willing to die to yourself and you're willing to say, no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. You know, that's how it works. That's how it works in marriage. That's how it works in life, guys. We have to die. We have to die to ourselves. We have to be willing to actually say yes. And, and of course, we know from church history that our <coughs> beloved apostle Peter, who is talked about more in all the scriptures, who is quoted more than every disciple, who is the larger-than-life figure, 
because we connect with him so well, because we all have the battles that Peter had. That when you fall off the beam, you can get straight back and you stay on the path. You keep following Jesus and you can receive that healing. And that's what I love about the redemptive nature of the Christian faith. That every one of us, we can get back on the beam. We can carry forward. We can move forward. And so when you look at this story and you examine it, we come to that point when we examine our own hearts and we say, how am I doing? Am I focusing on Jesus? Am I living a life with open arms? And when I slip off, am I willing to get back on the path that God has called me to be on? Let's pray for a moment. Just search your heart for a moment. And in the final moments, if you've been wounded by others, and as I said, often the hypocrisy is in the home where we grew up. And it wasn't meant to be like that. It's just sometimes, as I said, my own life. Sometimes, dear friends, we all make mistakes, like Peter. And there's always a way back, and we have to release people. We have to forgive people. We have to bless people. We have to name them and say, I name this person who is... Imagine the people that were around the table that were then no longer allowed to come to that table because Peter had made that decision. How would those cosmopolitan Antioch residents who were non-Jewish feel about Peter because Peter made that choice? It would have hurt them so badly. And for some of us, we feel like we've been hurt so badly, excluded. But you are never excluded from God's table. None of you are excluded. You don't have to feel like an orphan. You don't have to feel like an outcast. You don't have to feel like you're excluded because you are so loved by God. So, Father, I pray right now that in areas of our lives where we felt the cold winds and the pain around this subject, I pray that this morning, in the name of Jesus, where we've been touched and infected by the actions of others, who have led us spiritually astray, or we have seen this in our lives, I just declare in the name of Jesus, freedom and healing over this congregation in the name of Jesus. And I pray even in the final moments as we lift our voices up, as we sing to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I pray that your spirit will flow and that we'll be able to release a lot of 
a lot of garbage in our lives right now in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.